Ernie Smith, proudly South African, saying lovely things. It's 35 minutes after 10. Hey, teamers, we are about to get into uh, a social conversation where we raise the bar. Our aim is to support the practice of integrity and everything that is above board, nothing under the carpet, nothing that is within an envelope, right? In absolutely every sphere of our society, especially post-Sonder Commission era that we find ourselves in where issues of corruption and collusion have been at the tips of our tongues and we have been seeing big cases, but sometimes the small cases, the individual cases, the ones behind closed doors, we don't necessarily see. However, they have big impacts. So we're going to be raising the bar. Social Conversations Let's welcome our A-team guest on this uh, Raising the Bar, Penny Milner-Smythe of Ethical Ways. Penny is a specialist in uh, organization, behavior and ethics. And uh, she works across a range of sectors with large groups and small businesses to help them foster a culture of integrity in all that they do and in how they do it. So let's welcome our beautiful guest, Penny. Thank you very much for joining us. Good evening. Lovely to be with you and the listeners again, Patricia. Thank you. Penny, you know, in this uh, post-Zondo Commission, we are all trying to be very aware of our individual behaviors and also the behaviors of others so that we don't find ourselves um, being the most corrupt country in the world. And um, it's been very interesting. For the past 10 weeks, every single Monday you've been with us. And uh, tonight, uh, I mean, let's open it up for our A-team listeners, right, who have been tuning in um, for some or even all of our episodes of Raising the Bar segments and um, hear from them. I want to hear from you, and I'm sure Penny would also like to hear from you as an A-teamer. Would you like us to continue our weekly focus on promoting ethics and combating corruption? My answer is yes. (laughs) And (laughs) what do you think? Do you think that we are adding value to our country's conversation? Have we given you a pause for thought? And just share with us, what has raising the bar alerted you to? What has it done to change your way of thinking, change your way of doing things in the workplace and in society? How have you been observing um, the way things are, uh, are done in society to eradicate um, unscrupulous behavior, to eradicate corruption and collusion? Let me know. Our WhatsApp number is 0614-104107. You can also send SMSs to 41391 or even call in on 011 and perhaps you're an ATMA that has questions, questions around ethics, questions around um, behavior within the workplace or in a schooling system or in a particular department that you work for and you want to be anonymous. You can also ask those questions so you can get a way forward um, with uh, our guest Penny Milner-Smythe. So, Penny, for the past, I think this is the third week, we have been having a discussion of why good people do bad things at work. And tonight, I believe that we are progressing on this discussion with the topic again, uh, putting a spotlight on our own behavior as individuals, right? And the fact that while we tend to judge ourselves as being good people in comparison to others, (laughs) nearly all of us are vulnerable to being negatively influenced. Um, What are your thoughts, Penny? Well, that's exactly right, Patricia. It seems that if we want to be our best selves, we have to acknowledge that we can also be our worst selves. And we have to recognize the factors that influence us one way or another. 
So tonight we're going to talk about what's called the power of social proof, um, about how evidence in our environment of how other people conduct themselves impacts on our own conduct. So sadly or happily, depending on the direction of the influence, study after study has shown that our environments can have a profound impact on our ethical behavior. Penny, can you describe one of these studies uh, that illustrates the impact of our environment on our personal behavior? Mm, let me use one that I think listeners who have motor vehicles can relate to. Um, listeners who have motor cars and go and buy their groceries at a shopping mall. Um, in large shopping centers, there are also large parking garages. And people who buy large quantities of goods transport these to their vehicles in shopping trolleys. Uh, there are designated areas on the garages where shoppers should leave their empty trolleys once they've unpacked their shopping into the vehicles. Usually, this requires the shopper to push their now empty trolley some distance to a designated bay and then return to their vehicles before they exit the centers. The problem always arises when shoppers simply abandon their trolleys wherever they are parked instead of returning them to a designated area. And this creates a number of problems. Uh, For example, trolleys tend to go on a ride of their own and crash into other people's parked cars, Mm -hmm. causing damage. Mm -hmm. Trolleys might make it impossible for people to use what would have otherwise been an empty bay. Um, If we return the trolley to the designated area, the process of collecting and returning them to the store is an efficient one for the employees who are responsible for that, which means the stores don't run out of trolleys and they don't have staff hunting down wayward trolleys. I'm not sure, but if you're like me, you've had those situations where you feel you're in such a rush and maybe you can just park the trolley, wedged up against something in a fairly safe kind of position, but you know it's not really the right thing to do. Mm, very true. You know, Penny, this is such a true life battle. Um, yeah. And I, I, I chuckle a bit because today on social media, I saw someone posting um, a shopping trolley and there was a person inside it. And this person mm-hmm. was... Um, tailing and holding on uh, to a, a, a truck, a huge truck. And this oh, truck yeah. was on the end too. Um, it's raining and it's going at fast speed. And this person is holding on. And I'm thinking, shouldn't this shopping trolley be in the shopping mall? <laughs> How did it get out of the vicinity of the shopping center? But isn't it con- inconveniencing the shoppers and the store? Um, and then I'm also thinking, does this person not value their lives to that point? that they would be actually hanging on to the back of a moving truck. Well, well I think it looked like the person was feeling quite exhilarated and oh, having the time of their life. Oh, so that was another matter. Oh, only in South Africa. But there's nothing more infuriating than discovering that someone else has caused this exact inconvenience and even costly damage um, when they had just taken a few minutes, a few seconds, and extra steps, and it would have not happened. Well, that's exactly right. Um, I'm I'm guilty of not always returning the trolley to the designated area. So this example really rings true. But let me talk about the fact that um, when we do the action required, that's, for example, to return the trolley to the correct area, we are doing what we call acting pro-socially. That is in the interests of others. 
And in this situation, when we abandon our trolleys with disregard for the trouble they might cause, we call it antisocial behavior. So here's the study. I found it really fascinating. What the researchers did was to select a standard shopping mall um, with shoppers from diverse uh, economic groups who regularly shopped at the mall. And they studied the trolley behavior of shoppers under two different conditions. In the first condition, the parking garage was clean and free of litter. In the second condition, the same garage was dirty and littered. And here's what they found. And I think everyone might have guessed it already. When the parking garage was itself untidy, shoppers were much more likely to abandon their trolleys. When the parking garage was neat and clean, statistically, many more shoppers returned the trolleys dutifully to the designated bays. So it's just one example of many other studies that tell us the same thing. When we're in environments where we see evidence of low standards, we're more likely to lower our own standards, to demand less of ourselves um, because of how we judge other people to be behaving in that same environment. And of course, there's a really positive side to this, is that if we create environments that are functional rather than dysfunctional, environments where there's evidence of care rather than neglect by others, we tend to live up to these standards rather than succumb to a more, I guess, antisocial tendencies. Mm, mm. You know, ATMs, please do remember, I asked earlier as we started this conversation, um, what have you learned? What behavioral changes have you implemented in your life, in your small circles, since we've started raising the bar in the past uh, 10 weeks? Are you becoming a better citizen? Are you looking at things uh, through the correct lenses and are you being a person of integrity in everything if you've got questions or you've got comments and you'd like to let us know the whatsapp number is 0614104107 or you can sms on 41391 remember you can also call in on 011714206 you know penny um in in terms of what you have just given us right some may think that it's a very trivial example but if you think about it carefully and you really consider when we as individuals do the right thing for others, even people we don't know, others who we don't even you know, know their identity, it, it then becomes a true sign of pro-social conduct. And that's what I believe. So can you um, tell us, do we have any workplace examples for those listeners who are supervisors or managers or leaders um, and want to harness social proof in a positive way? Well, that's a really interesting question. And um, I run a training course called Leading for Ethics. Um, and... One of the things I often talk about is the importance for leaders of choosing your words carefully and choosing who you address them to. And many managers make the mistake of almost setting up the complete opposite of that which they want. Um, and a classic example, I think, is derived from email. And um, in companies, we have these email groups where there's um, a list of people like your whole team, and you can just put in a team, for example, and then everyone will get the email. So let's say you've got seven people who report to you and you need them all to submit information regularly. 
every month, say, let's say on the 28th of the month, so that you can compile a report to issue on the 1st. Um, let's say two of the seven are always late with their reports. Um, what you do is you now write to all seven saying, dear all, the late submission of reports is unacceptable and I won't tolerate this in the future. Next month, four of the seven submit late. And you think, what went wrong? I sent the message. I told everybody it was no good. Well, instead of kind of getting up and just going and speaking to the two offenders, so to speak, what the supervisor's done is send a message to everyone generically saying effectively that late submissions have been a norm. So the offenders suddenly feel relieved as they're clearly not alone. And uh, those who, who were submitting on time get the impression that it's actually the norm to be late. And so they relax up their standards. So effectively, you've given social proof of the fact that information is often late. You've made your problem worse, not better. This example, <laughs> I mean, it, it seems it seems like it's something we should know as common knowledge and practice. But every example, um, you know, you use, I see I see a common thread. Um, we tend to judge ourselves according to what we see to be the norm or the average. And if we match or exceed that norm, then we feel satisfied with ourselves, right? We feel, yeah, I'm better than the rest. I am above the group. But it's just above the average, above the norm. Um, and this is why the company that we keep is so important, as are the headlines that we write. Penny, I've got a WhatsApp here. Before you respond, let's just go to it. Hi, Penny. You, you're talking about the environment and the standards. Who's supposed to set those high standards? The employees or the employer? Because in certain cases, you find that the employer themselves or the employers themselves, they don't even understand what is a low or high standard. How do you work as an employee in that kind of environment whereby the bosses, you know, they make the environment unconducive for their employees? Very, very important question, this, I believe. So who sets these standards and who makes sure that they're implemented? Well, in an ideal situation, we are looking to the leaders, to the management, to the employer to be setting the standard. There's absolutely no question about it. And it is disheartening, um, as the listener has quite rightly said, to be in an environment where even the people who are in the highest positions of authority don't um, place value on conducive conditions for good performance. Um, and often those are the very managers who will be complaining about the employees without looking at themselves. What I'd like to do is to say that wherever we are in an organizational hierarchy, what we can do is exert influence in our own sphere, even if that sphere doesn't seem very big. And through our own actions, to be a positive example to others, um, we talk about leading up. And I know that it in many ways goes against common sense to say that we need to be leading upwards or outwards. But there's no doubt as individuals, if we too give up on what we believe are going to be the conducive standards um, in the workplace for ourselves and our colleagues, then all is lost. 
So um, I encourage everybody in that situation to exert their influence at least laterally amongst their colleagues in a positive way and um, live in hope that we'll be able to shift the managers from a situation of um, upward pressure. All right, all right. Um, thank you for that response. Now, in, in terms of what happens when we're in a group situation uh, for ourselves yes. as individuals? Yeah, that's, that's, um, it's, it's quite interesting. And in a way, it links to what the listener has been saying, is that we can find ourselves in a situation where we actually come to find acceptable behavior and norms that we would never set for ourselves as an individual. Um, And this is quite an important thing to understand, is that if a group are going in a particular direction or group norms develop that are dysfunctional, we can easily find ourselves just submitting to that set of norms. Um, even if you asked us in our individual capacities, there might be norms that are completely unacceptable to us. Um, there's someone called Jennifer Grant. I've got no idea who she is. But she, she said something that I thought was quite smart. It was very simple. It says, it's better to walk alone than with a crowd going in the wrong direction. It's better to walk alone than with a crowd going in the wrong direction. Sounds like um, me. <laughs> <laughs> and it captures this point that Going along with others is a source of comfort to us, um, but that's only until we experience some personal bad consequence as a result. Um, You mentioned headlines, and I must say I get really infuriated by the harm done by sensational headlines. You know, um, we see these um, newspaper headlines that might say, Johannesburg is the most corrupt city in the world, or South Africa is the most corrupt country in the world. Now, neither of these statements are true at all. Um, You know, anyone who wants to have that debate with me is welcome to make contact with me and we can look at the evidence of what is available, um, which will show, and I'm not saying it's something we should um, use as a reason to rest on our laurels, but South Africa is not nearly the most corrupt country in the world on any measure. So... um, The problem is that if you keep telling people it is, it will surely become that because of this very powerful impact that what we perceive to be the average or the norm is, has on our own conduct. Um, Maybe the most important thing to just say is that the value of being normal, if there is such a thing, depends on how healthy that norm is. Um, And so if dysfunction is becoming normalized in our society, in our minds, normal is really just a path to ruin. We can't take comfort from measuring ourselves against a falling average. And what I'd like to do is for us to be finding a way to put a spotlight on all the many ways in which the average in South Africa is not a low bar. It's um, a source of uh, pride. Um, for many of people in South Africa that they want to live, live ethical lives of integrity. So Penny, our ethical conduct can be dragged down or uplifted by our social and our physical environment from what you say. And also becoming aware of uh, the vulnerability or susceptibility um, is an important first step to being 
our best selves more of the time instead of looking out at what the norm is, what is everyone else doing, and then I will judge myself or do according to what the norm is. I think that that's right. Let's become aware that we are vulnerable to being our worst selves um, and we are actually happily suggestible to being better version of ourselves. So let's look for high bars to compare ourselves to because that is a path to integrity as a path as opposed to the path to ethical ruin. Um, uh, there's a there's a, a great quote that is attributed to someone um, who lived a very long time ago called Augustine of Hippo, a great African, actually an Algerian. And um, those listeners who are from the Roman Catholic faith will recognize this as a saint in their church, St. Augustine. And many people don't realize that St. Augustine was an African, Algerian. Um, but what he is supposed to have said is this, right is right, even if no one is doing it. And wrong is wrong, even if everyone is doing it. Right is right, even if no one's doing it. And wrong is wrong, even if everyone is doing it. Now, that's a courageous path. It's a difficult path. But I think it's a good challenge for all of us to strive towards. You know, to, um, I'm, I'm glad that you have given us this quote. You know, right is right, even if no one is doing it. And wrong is wrong, even if everyone is doing it. And this is where we find ourselves at most times, that we are doing wrong because it is normal. It is okay. Everyone else around me does it. But we should be doing right. But because no one is doing it, no one wants to do it. I don't want to do it. Why should I bother myself? Penny, I think it, it, ethics comes down to an individual. It, it seems it's not about everyone. It's about me starting in my circle and then everyone else doing the same so that we all in our small pockets can effect the change that we desire to see. Great way of summarizing our discussion. Thank mm. you, Patricia. Mm. So next week, we're we back again on Raising the Bar. What is our discussion going to be? We'll leave this theme uh, for a while and um, go back to the subject of corruption. And what we're going to be talking about is um, a particular type of corruption where sex is the currency of the bribe, often referred to as extortion. Um, it's an important conversation for us to be having because, unfortunately, leaders, uh, victims, perpetrators easily confuse sexual harassment with sextortion. Now, we've got very well-developed laws and codes around the handling of sexual harassment in the workplace, um, but the reality is that sextortion is not harassment. It's a form of corruption in which all the tools of corruption can be at play, bribery, blackmail, extortion, abuse of position and fraud. So what we're going to be doing next week is putting on the, the spotlight on corruption, really bribery, where the currency of the bribe is sex. Well, let me tell you something. When you speak about this, I am <laughs> remembering many examples of people who have openly said, I got my job because I had 
and and after nine meeting with my current boss i had a private meeting with my current boss so yeah um there's a many many examples i'm looking forward to this discussion because it goes both ways others would like you say blackmail uh bribe and all in the name of sextortion and we'll get deeper into it next week monday looking forward to it penny how do our a-teamers get in touch with you well, um, they can contact me via uh, the website, which is ethicalways.co.today, or connect with me on LinkedIn. Look forward to being in contact. Thanks Thank for the show. Thank you so very much for joining us, Penny. Looking forward to next week, Monday, around the same time when we raise the bar. That was Penny Milner-Smythe from Ethical Ways. And um, yeah, next week at this time, it's going to be very interesting. Talking sextortion. Yay, guys. Sometimes things that we do to get the things that we want can be very dicey. But let's keep raising.